In the new year, we've been talking about what it means to be happy. We're hoping this year will be happier than the two previous years that have been so difficult with the coronavirus. And so we started talking about this last week. And here are a few things that we talked about last week to catch up if you weren't here or maybe to jog your memory if, uh, if you forgot. But can you bring that first slide up for us, Chris? Uh, we're looking at what it means to be happy, both from godly perspective and also what science teaches us. And we found out last week that there's a lot of overlap in that, which is really cool. We're going to continue to do that. The Bible teaches us that there's a time for everything. Sometimes we'll feel happy and sometimes we'll feel sad and sometimes we'll feel angry. So if you don't feel happy all the time, that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. There's a different season in our lives to feel different ways. Uh, scientists say that we can be happy in our lives with our emotions and how we feel, and we can also be happy with our lives, the direction that our life is, is moving, that we're working towards goals and achieving things. So we can be happy in our lives, and we can be happy with our lives. Uh, and we've been challenged to kind of, uh, throughout this series, kind of think about how happy we are on a scale from zero to ten, with zero being not happy at all and ten being completely happy. Where are you today? And to write down that number, and then write it down tomorrow. If you're happier tomorrow, write down some notes. Why am I happier today? Or if, you, if you're not as happy, why aren't you as happy? Maybe you try to pinpoint what it is that's making us happy or less happy. Um, we also learned that what we think will make us happy often does not. Uh, science has proved the bigger office, more money, getting in the school of your choice doesn't necessarily make you happy. And so uh, we talked about maybe having to repent right to turn around or to rewire our brains from a scientific standpoint to maybe pursue things that make us happy that we might not think and last week we, we saw that science and theology and the bible all agree that one of the best ways to decide whether or not you're going to be happy is the quality of relationships that you have in your life with god and with people so that's just a quick crash course on what we talked about last week if you missed that you can go and check that message out online uh, one of the scientists that we're really studying uh, is a professor, Dr. Lori Santos at Yale University, uh, and she has taught this class at Yale that's been the most popular class at Yale, so they offered it free to the whole world, and over 3.7 million people have taken it, and so she's kind of our, re our reference for the scientific side of what it means to be happy, this Yale professor. She's super smart, and uh, you, can read, uh, you can take that class yourself, or you can listen to her podcast. Uh, I encourage you to check that out. There's some really good stuff there. Now, I want to shift gears to today. I want to talk about a guy from Texas named Billy Bob Harrell Jr. Really, that's his name, Billy Bob Harrell Jr. Uh, he was a good man, good God-fearing man, went to church, worked at the Home Depot, had a wife, had three kids, uh, living a good life, an overall good life, until this one event happened in his life that ruined his life. It was on June the 28th in 1997. Shortly after this event happened, his wife left him, filed for divorce. He immediately lost 50 pounds, which he couldn't afford to lose and was just kind of a shadow of himself physically. His children would later report that he changed in personality. He became a different person. And within two years after the event that happened, Billy Bob took his own life. Took his own life. Any guesses what happened in his life? He won the Texas lottery, $31 million. And it ruined his life. He lost his family, lost his health, and he took his own life. 
because something that most of us dream about ended up being the exact opposite for Billy Bob and he ended his life. We talked about sometimes in our lives the things that we think will make us happy don't always make us happy. The things that we think will make us happy don't always make us happy and that includes money. A lot of us think if we got just a little bit more money, we'd be happier, right? Some scientists did a study, and they, they found out that, you know, if you're making 30000 you, you ask somebody who's making 30000 how much money would it take you to, make, to be happy? And they say 50000 If you ask someone making 100000 they're going to say it's going to take $250,000. Like, so whatever you're making, to be happy, it's always going to be a higher number. But usually that doesn't make us happier. These two Nobel prize-winning scientists did a study on money and how money can or cannot make us happy. And they found out that if you're making ten dollars or $20,000 and you suddenly bump up to $30,000, that, that will make you considerably happier. It'll make your life different. If you're making $30,000 and you end up somewhere around fifty dollars or $60,000, that is a game changer, right? But that it levels off somewhere around, in America, household income around seventy dollars or $75,000. Once you hit the seventy dollars or $75,000 threshold per household, household income in America, any more than that is not going to change your life overall happiness. Now, you're going to have opportunities to have cool things or get some freedom if you make more money, but your overall happiness on a 0 to 10 scale is not going to move beyond the seventy dollars to $75,000 range. Because for most families, that's where your needs are being met with shelter and clothes and food and cars and things like that. And beyond that, the money's just not going to make you more happy, even though we think that it will. Lori Santos interviewed one of um, the, a psychologist uh, whose clients are the top 1% richest people in the world, the top 1% of the top 1%. And he said that in his clientele, these are some of the things that he found out about his clients. That they have happiness, right? There's happy moments in their lives and it's great and good things are happening, but, but that more money doesn't make them happier. In fact, sometimes the money can give them stress, right? Because he says that a lot of his clients actually feel guilty because they, they say we have, we have more money than we'll ever need. We have so much money that our lives should be perfect but our lives are not perfect because we're all human, right? No matter what we make, right? We're gonna have problems at home. We're gonna have problems at school. We're gonna have problems physically, right? And so there's a lot of guilt among the super rich that, hey, my, I have so much money, my life should be perfect and it's not. And I also found out that a lot of folks with the super wealth have a hard time in relationships because they just don't know who to trust. Do you, do you like me for me or do you like me for my money? especially when it comes to romantic relationships. Are you interested in me for me or are you interested in me for my money? He said a lot of his clients are also, they feel socially isolated because they're the top 1% for a reason. That means they're different than 99% of the rest of the world and it's hard for them to find people that they can relate to and just hang out with, right? Because their, their peers are very few, Right, and so they feel isolated. They just right. What did you do this week? Well, I flew to Paris to, to try out a new restaurant. Well, what did you do? Well, I was stuck in traffic all day, and you know, going to and from work. Right? They just don't have as much in common, so they feel isolated. And the super rich, like the rest of us, also believe that if I just have a little bit more, I'm going to be happier. Right? He, they had a client who was making five hundred thousand. I mean, sorry, five hundred million dollars. Right, so when are you going to be happy? Well, when I get the billion dollar, I think I'm going to be happy, right? So, so I say all of this again to say sometimes the things that we think will make us happy don't necessarily 
make us happy. So we're going to keep following that thread today, right? Keeping Billy Bob in the back of our minds. And I want to jump in with the Bible right now. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul, who was a pastor in the first century, and he wrote most of the New Testament. He started all these churches in the Mediterranean world, and he would then write them letters to encourage them and to teach them. And in this letter, he's writing from prison. He's in jail because of his faith. He's getting ready to go on trial. And at this trial, they might convict him, and the sentence might be execution, right? So Paul's in a very difficult situation. He's writing from prison. He might lose his life for his faith. And this is what Paul writes to some of his other believers. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Let's go to the next slide. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Paul's saying, whatever's going on in my life, I've figured out a way to be content in all circumstances, whether things are going well or whether they're not, whether I'm hungry or whether I'm stuffed, whether I have money or whether I don't have money. Paul says, I'm content in all situations. Right. And the skeptic in all of us is probably saying, do you really believe that, Paul? Are you just, you know, writing, you know, this to encourage people who are going through a hard time? But do you really believe that? As you're sitting in jail, as you're getting ready to go on trial, you're getting ready to be executed, are you really content right now? Is that something that we really think we can believe in? Right? Is Paul telling the truth here? Right. We're going to come back to Paul. Right? We're going to look at some science. We're going to come back to Paul and see what we think. See if we agree with Paul. Can you, in your life, say, like Paul, I have found a way to be content in all circumstances. Right? Outside of like, extremely terrible things, can we say with Paul, I can be content in all circumstances? I want to come back to the whole Billy Bob thing and just about how sometimes in life, when we get what we want, we're not happy. And sometimes when we get what we don't want, we end up being happy. How, how does that happen? How, do, how does that reverse kind of psychology happen in life? And I, I think some of it is, in our minds, when we look to the future, we run the simulations in our head, right? When I go to college, it's going to be this way. When I get the job, it's going to be this way. When I win the lottery, this is going to happen. And when we run those scenarios, usually, right, those scenarios are quick, and we don't look at the details, and we only look at the good stuff that's going to happen, right? When I win the lottery... It's going to be awesome, right? I'm going to get a big yacht. I'm going to be on a tropical beach somewhere all the time. I'm going to have money in my bathtub, right? I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to have fun, right? Did y'all see the NFL player Antonio Brown this past week quit his job in the middle of a football game? Right? He took off his pads and his, his jersey, and he threw it, and he took off his undershirt and his clothes, and he threw it in the stands, and he ran off the field, and he said, Goodbye, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? Haven't every one of us had a dream about doing that with one of the jobs that we've ever had in life, right? See ya, I'm out of here, ah, I'm gone, right? We want to pull an Antonio Brown and say, I'm done with this, right? right? We, we dream about that, winning the lottery, I'm out of here, I am gone and I can't wait to tell people about that, right? We, we, we have all these positive dreams that we're thinking about, but we don't think about the, probably the negative consequences, right? When we win the lottery, Right? We win the lottery and all of a sudden we realize everybody that we know and people that we don't even know are going to be coming out of the woodwork. They're going to be asking us for money all the time, all the time. Right? Everybody's asking me for money all the time. Some of our social relationships are going to fall apart because of money and people coming and wanting stuff. Some of our friends are going to look down their noses at us. They're going to be jealous and they're going to be um, 
spiteful and resentful. And they're going to say, you didn't make your money the right way. You didn't earn your money, right? And so we're going to lose friends. And we're not going to be able to make new friends that we can trust. Do they, do they like me for me or do they like me for my money? So we're going to have all these problems that creep into our lives that we don't think about when we're doing those scenarios in our head, right? If I were to ask you, would you rather go on a trip to Paris or have gum surgery? You're going to say every time, right? I want to go to Paris, right? I would say that. I don't want to have gum surgery, right? We're going we're gonna to do that, right, in our lives. Um, but when we take that trip to Paris, it's going to be great, but it's not probably going to be as great as we think it's going to be. When we have the gum surgery, it's probably not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be as bad as we think it's going to be. Right, because there's something going on in our in our lives, and this is what is called impact bias. Right, where we overestimate the intensity or duration of future emotions. Right, the lottery's going to be awesome. It's going to change my mind. Or that gum surgery's going to be the worst thing in the world. It's going to make me just cringe. Right, and usually, the good things are not quite as good as we think they're going to be, and the bad things are not quite as bad as we think they're going to be. Right, this this intensity duration. They did a study of professors at the University of Texas about achieving tenure, right? Tenure is what every professor wants to get. It's the highest status. It means your job's guaranteed. You're not going to be fired. You're going to be making more money. It's like if you're a professor in college, you're set when you make tenure. So they asked these professors at the University of Texas, if you got tenure on a scale of zero to seven, right? Zero being not happy, seven being happy, how happy do you think you would be? And all the professors said about, we'd be a six out of seven, right, when we got tenure. But when they got tenure, they ended up discovering they were only a five out of seven. It was great, but it wasn't as great as they thought it would be. And they asked the professors who didn't make tenure, what would you be on a scale of zero to seven? And most all of them said, well, definitely a three. Like, that's going to stink. I'm not going to be happy at all. And when they didn't get tenure, they were actually a point higher. They were a four. They were a little bit higher. Right, and so the good things aren't usually as great as we think they're going to be. The bad things aren't as bad as we think they're going to be. Right, we have this impact bias in our minds. Right, and so here's a point that I take away from that. Right, the highs in our lives are going to be more temporary and probably not as good as we hope they are, and the lows will not be as awful as we imagine they are. So we continue as you think about things in our lives that might disappoint us and. And, or things that might make us happy, there's another thing that happens in life is that, is that we can get used to things and they can lose kind of their, their allure to us, right? So we, on a scale of zero to 10, we can't be at a 10 forever, can we? Like you get married, you get into the job that you want, you get into the, your dream school and you're on top of the world for a while, but eventually you're gonna have to come down off that 10, right? You're gonna have to come down to a nine, eight, seven, six, five. You, we just can't stay at a 10 forever, right? Because that's just not the way that we're wired. We've got to come down so that we can get ready for our next up, right? For whatever God has in store for us next, going to take us back up the ladder, right? Scientists call it this, hedonic adaptation, right? Hedonism means the pursuit of pleasure, right? Our brains adapt to that, right? So after an emotional high, right, when we have something really cool happen to us, we go back to a baseline level of emotional satisfaction, Right? Which means we can't live at 9 or 10 happiness all the time. But I think a lot of us think that's what it means to be happy. So we've got to be a 9 or we've got to be a 10 or there's something wrong with us. Right? But that's just not the way our bodies are geared. Right? That's not the way our lives are geared. So 
here's some good news. If you're thinking, wow, right, my marriage is great, but it's not really a 10, right? I, I, I'm in the seven or eight out of, out of life. Or, you know, my kids bring me lots of joy, or my grandchildren bring me lots of joy, and sometimes that's a 10, but not really. It's usually a six or a seven, right? My job, right? It's the best job in the whole world. This is awesome. I should love it. I should feel like a 10 every day, but I come in and some days I'm not at a 10. What's wrong with me? I've got a wife. I've got family. I've got friends. I've got this job. Why am I not at a 10? What's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. We just can't be there. Being at a 10 or a 9, it's not where we live. It's, it's a place that we visit, right? It's a, we, we can visit there more often. We can stay there more often as we work and, and do our happiness homework, right? But there's, there's nothing wrong with you if you're not at a 10 all the time. It's, it's just not realistic to stay there. But I think a lot of times we put that pressure on ourselves. We put that pressure on our relationships. We put that pressure on our jobs. We put that pressure on everything that we've got to be a 10 or we're just not happy. Right? And so we have this hedonic adaptation, right? We've got to come back at some point to a baseline level that's a little lower than a 9 or a 10. Now, the reverse of that is true, right? When we experience bad things that we're dreading and we just don't want to get there, you know, like the breakup or we lose our job or we're dealing with an illness, right? Usually that's not as bad as we think it's going to be. Right? And that we're tougher than we think that we are. That in the midst of adversity, we forget that we have adaptability. And so when bad things come our way and rob us of our happiness, we figure out right, that we find a way to move forward through that and that life goes on and we adjust to that. And even when bad things happen to us, we can still feel a sense of joy or even happiness in the midst of that. Because when something bad happens to us, Scientists say we have like this psychological immune system, right? As soon as you start to feel bad, your mind deploys mental defenses, right, to help us out, right? So think about if you've ever been in a romantic relationship and the other person ends the relationship and you don't want it to end, you get dumped, right? They rip your heart out, they jump up and down on it, right? That hurts, and it's no fun, and it's sad, and no one wants to deal with that. And we go through this just moment of intense pain that, 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 that we're dealing with. But then we begin to do what? We begin to rationalize it. Well, you know what? Maybe they weren't the right person for me after all. Right? You know, there were some things that we didn't really agree on, and we, maybe we didn't have as much in common as we thought we did. Or, You know what? I think it, it's good for me to have a fresh start, right? Our mind begins to help us deal with the disappointment, and to get ready for whatever it is next that God has in store for us, right? So the highs aren't as great as we think we're going to be. Not, we're not there for, for too long. The lows aren't as bad as we think there are. There's, there's somewhere in the middle where we're going to find an everyday realistic happiness. So let's come back and see what the Bible teaches us about this. So we're going to go back to Paul again as he's in prison He's awaiting his sentence, he's awaiting his trial, and he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances, right? Whether I'm on the high, whether I'm on the low, I found a way to appreciate life, right? Let's keep going. I know what it is to be in need, I know what it is to have plenty, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, right? I can adjust my 
my, my impact analysis, right? I, I can deal with this. But then he adds this, right? He says, I can do this. I can stay content through him, through Jesus, who gives me strength. This is Paul's secret, right? Where the scientist maybe is not going to go. How can I be content in all circumstances, whether it's good or whether it's bad? It's because God's with me. God gives me strength. God gives me a way to cope with the negative things that happen in my life, right? God is with me and, and sees me through. Right? Now, that doesn't mean that in terrible circumstances that we're going to feel great. When something terrible happens, it's still terrible. We still feel bad about it. God doesn't cause it, but God is still with us and helps us to where we don't face it alone. I want to go to another passage from Paul. This time he's writing to the Roman Christians, and this is what he says to them in Romans 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. The Christians here were being tortured for their faith, arrested for their faith, killed for their faith, ostracized for their faith. And Paul says, but we can take glory in that because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. All right, let's keep going. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God works through the worst of circumstances. He doesn't cause them, but he works through the worst of circumstances, right? From our suffering, we can have perseverance, we can have endurance, and we can have hope. Why do we have hope? Because God's gotten us through suffering before, God will get us through tough times now. God got us through tough times before, God will get us through tough times now. God is with us, and the tough times, right, might not be as tough as we imagine them to be, especially when God is with us at work in our lives. I want to tell you about another guy named J.R. Martinez, uh, who in the early 2000s was a 19-year-old guy. Uh, and he graduated from high school, and he decided uh, that he wanted to join the Army. And he wanted to serve for about three years. He wanted to give back to his country. He wanted to get some money to go to college, and he thought it would be a good thing to do. So he went to basic training, and as soon as he completed basic training, uh, he was assigned to go to Iraq. It's in the first Iraqi war that we were over there in 2003. He wasn't super excited about that. He was driving in a Humvee about a month after he got in Iraq, and the Humvee ran over a bomb, a roadside bomb, blew the Humvee up and out, and the three people that were in the, in the Humvee with him were thrown out of the truck, but he was trapped in the Humvee, and all the bullets and stuff were going everywhere, and he, he caught on fire. And he was trapped in the Humvee for a few minutes, and he was watching his own hands melt. They pulled him out of the Humvee finally, and they medevaced him to Europe and then eventually to America. Uh, the first three, uh, for, for three, I think it's three weeks, he was in a medically induced coma. Uh, he had third degree burns on 30% of his body, his face, his hands, his arms, and his legs. Uh, they had to do skin grafts from the rest of his body to, to repair those places. And he said that the skin grafts hurt almost, if not much more, than the burns did. And when he first woke up, the doctors were telling him just a lot of bad news. You're not going to be able to feed yourself. You're not going to be able to sit up. You're not going to be able to walk for a long time. Um, you've got third-degree burns on a third of your body. Uh, and you're not going to be in the Army anymore, which he really felt bad about because he really wanted to serve in the army and uh, he was a good looking guy before all this happened like 
when all of his mom's friends will be over, they say, oh, you're so cute, you're so cute. Right? He's lost his good looks, he, he's lost everything. And for the next three years of his life, he was in hospitals. He lived in the hospital. He had surgery after surgery. So he turned 20, he turned 21, he turned 22 in the hospital. And he said he was in a dark place. He was in a bad place. He, he was a victim in every sense of the word, right? You can't think of much worse than what he's going through, just this extreme burn victim that's messed his whole life up, right? We fast forward to today. Dr. Santos from Yale is interviewing him and he, he says his words, and looking back over his life, that all that's happened to him since then, in his words, it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing. You've got to be kidding me, right? All that you went through, all those surgeries, all that burn, you consider that your life is a blessing. You've got to be crazy, right? That's just, just no way. It's like what we think about Paul. It's just it, you, you can't do that, right? How, how is your life a blessing? And he begins to talk about, well, I know other people who've been through worse. They've lost limbs or they've lost their lives. I, I am alive, right? So I'm grateful for that. Uh, he also began to, once he was able to get back on his feet and start, you know, living more of a normal life and get out of the hospital, he began to visit other burn victims and other veterans who'd gone through similar things. And he, he was able to help them. And that gave him meaning in his life. He he began to go to places to speak to people about what he'd been through and he was an inspirational speaker and he began to make money speaking and then he got a job acting on a soap opera, All My Children, and that led to him getting a job on Dancing with the Stars and he wrote a book about his life and that became a New York Times bestseller and he found it on People magazine. And he said, I never would have met my wife if I didn't go through all of this. We wouldn't have our beautiful daughter if we didn't go through all of this. And so I don't want to go back and relive that pain, but I wouldn't change it. He says, I wouldn't change a thing in my life because my life is a blessing. And I've been able to help and to inspire so many other people, millions of people around the world. And that's amazing, isn't it? That's not where we think we would find happiness. That's not where we would think we would find goodness, right? One of these scientists says that in our lives, a lot of times we, we don't even begin to think that out of bad things or the worst things that can happen to us, that actually good things can happen to us. But they do, right? That's what a scientist says, which is very interesting because this is what Paul, remember Paul, Paul in prison, right? This is what Paul says about it in Romans 8. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. In all things, God is working for good in your life. In the good moments where we feel the nine and the ten, the six, sevens, and eights, right? And even those moments where the ones and twos and threes and fours on the happiness scale, God is still with us and God is working to bring good into our lives. God is still with us and working to bring good into our lives. God doesn't cause the bad things to happen. And there's some really bad things that happen. And we have to deal with that. We have to face that. And we have to lament that. And we have to be mad about that. And we're not trying to, you know, brush over that. There's some real pain in life. But the good news is we're not alone. And God is with us and is working to bring good out of those situations. So that even in those terrible situations, we can find a sense of peace and joy and happiness if this soldier who went through hell on earth can find joy and blessing in his life 
then that gives me hope that we can find joy and goodness and blessings in our lives, right? That is good, right? So what's the point today? What's the big idea? What's the takeaway? This is what I think it is, right? Happiness does not come from everything working out perfectly, right? We're not going to have a perfect life. Happiness does not come from everything working out perfectly, but from the perfect one, right? God, who in everything is working for good, right? We're happy because the perfect one is in our lives working to bring good out of everything, right? Happiness doesn't come from everything working out perfectly, Right? If your life's not perfect, you can still find happiness, right? but from the perfect one who in everything is working for good. So a couple things I'd like to challenge you to do. The first is this, right? an action step, uh, is take advantage of the way that God created you. When you're facing adversity, when you're facing a hard time, right, take advantage of the way that God's created you. The lows are not going to be as low as you think they are. You're more resilient and adaptable than you think you are, right? It's just in our human nature that we overcome adversity, right, during times that we're not happy, right? So take advantage of the way that God has wired you. It's not the end of the world, right? There's going to be something better that's coming, right? So be resilient. Hang in there, right? That kind of stuff. And then the second thing I would like to invite you to do is focus on who more than on what makes you happy, right? And and who being God, right? What distinguishes Paul from the scientist is the scientist says that good can come out of bad, but Paul says the good comes out of bad because God's at work in our lives, right? The scientist says you can be content in in, in your life, but Paul says I'm content in my life because God is with me and helping me find joy in my life, right? So focus on the who even more than on what makes you happy. That's Paul's not-so-secret power is God. Right? God is the one that helps us elevate that sense of joy and happiness, even in the midst of those difficult times. Right? One more scripture for you, and I think this is a cool way to end. Right? From 1 Peter 2, Jesus himself bore our sins, bore our wrongdoing, right? in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin for righteousness, and by his wounds you have been healed. Just look at that last sentence, by his wounds... You have been healed. Jesus died on a cross so that you and I can be forgiven of the wrong things that we do. Our guilt and shame can be replaced with joy and peace. We can have life that is full now and life forever in the kingdom of heaven because Jesus died for us, right? What do you think Jesus' happiness scale was when he was on the cross? I would say a big fat zero, the human side of him, right? No one wants to be on a cross. This is painful. This is awful, right? It's a zero. This is bad. This is as bad as it gets. But from a godly perspective, I'd say it'd probably be a 10. What I'm doing is going to save billions of people from going to hell. It's going to save billions of people and let them live life full. And so this is a tough sacrifice to make, but I'm doing it willingly because good comes from evil. God brings good into our lives from all circumstances, right? By Jesus' wounds, we are healed. And I think about J.R. Martinez and the wounds that he has on his body and the goodness that's come into his life. By his wounds, he has been healed, right? By Jesus' wounds, we are healed. So if you're in a tough spot right now, you're, you're at a zero or a one or a two or a three, you're on the low end of that scale, hang on. God is with you. God is working to bring good into your lives. You can have joy and you can have happiness again. You're not alone. If God can bring joy into J.R. Martinez's life, if God can bring joy from what happened to Jesus on the cross, then God is with you and you are not alone. 
And you can also experience happiness and joy that comes to us from being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hang on to that hope, brothers and sisters, in the name of Christ. Let's pray together. Gracious and ever-loving God, we thank you that even when things don't work out the way that we anticipate, when life is hard and terrible and even evil, Lord, that you are with us and we are not alone. And that, God, you're working to bring good back into our lives, just as you did with Paul as he was awaiting uh, his prison, Lord, in prison, waiting for his sentence and his eventual execution, even with J.R. Martinez, God, as he went through all that hell on earth in, in, the, in the midst of a war, Lord, and all that Jesus went through for us, all you went through for us, God, that even in the midst of all that, you can bring good into our lives and you can restore happiness and joy. And so, God, today, we thank you for that. And we lean on you, Lord, especially when we're feeling low and we put our trust into you. Thank you, God, for giving us this true hope. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.